The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined by someone that, I I mean, honestly, someone sent me your article about if uh, Pat might cancel the AXG group at Intel after I put out a leak suggesting that it seems to be being considered right now, and I realized, oh my God, it's been over two years since we've talked. You came on the podcast, (laughs) actually... March of 2020, which I believe probably means some of our opinions on how the market is going to go didn't age well. I don't know. Maybe it did. I think it would have been just about before the pandemic was like official, like when the shutdowns mm-hmm. happened, yeah, which is yeah. it's crazy to think about. But yeah, I mean, you, so you, you've already been on once it was a very long time ago. I, there's an introduction there, but we should probably do it again. I mean, tell people who you are, where you came from, what path you took to get here and even what got you into this industry oh how much time do we have i mean as much time as you've got but you can make this as condensed or long as an answer as well, you want. i'll do it as quickly as i can so um I, when i give talks i like to say you know i used to have an honest job i used to be an engineer and um <clears throat> then i started some companies and then i tried to retire and then um my previous investors and other investors and clients contacted me and asked me to help them with projects. And I realized I was in the consulting business and that led to writing market reports and that led to writing newsletters. And I've been doing that for a few decades now. And uh, so far, so good. No one has shot me or fired me. So uh, I've tracked, uh, we say the company tracks anything that influences or affects a a pixel. And so that's all the way from um, camera sensors to displays down to APIs, up to memory, <clears throat> and um, in the heart of all that is a GPU. Yeah, I mean, just to speak from my own perspective, but your market analysis of specifically like graphics market share, attach rates for graphics cards to PCs, it's pretty much the gold standard of tracking numbers in the consumer, well, just the graphics market in general. Like, you're constantly quoted across all websites that you know if they need an article every quarter they're like oh amd took one percent market share from nvidia or something you're always cited yeah well you know just last man standing i guess <laughs> well i'd like to think it's because you do a good job but yeah yeah that what you said <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll go with that um so i looked over some of the stuff we talked about a couple years ago and there was a lot of talk about multi-die gpus AMD's ability to take market share from Intel. I mean, a lot has changed since then. I mean, early 2020, like literally probably a week before the pandemic really hit the, hit the U.S. in a real way. What um, What's changed since then? Like, have you had any changes in perspective? Because I know I have. I mean, 
regarding Intel, mm -hmm. AMD, NVIDIA, just what consumers want in this market in general? Uh, what the consumers want. Oh, is that the question? Okay. <clears throat> well, the consumers want highest performance, lowest price, immediate availability. Next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is no next. That's it. Yeah, it's also funny to think about, like, looking back then, right before the shortages happened, you know, I guess I didn't catch you during the pandemic, but I, I've noticed that in one of your recent analysis reports of like market share that the attach rate for graphics cards continues to increase. Yeah. I think back then we were talking quite a bit about APUs becoming this thing that might eliminate part of the discrete graphics market, that APUs are going to become a play a bigger and bigger role in the market. And I suppose they they kind of are, but all evidence is is that dedicated graphics cards actually are growing more than APUs. Like, is this something that's surprised you? Or I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Because what we are seeing is, I think, different than what a lot of conversations were back then. Well, the GPU has become so extraordinarily ubiquitous. And it started with the PC GPU. Uh, NVIDIA gets credit for naming it uh, back in 1999. Um, I have three books written about this as to whether they actually invented it or not. <laughs> That's another subject. But in any case, um, in 1999, we had the GPU as a concept uh, available to us, and it, and, it, and it grew. And the thing that made it grow, the magic, was the parallel processing capability. Mm -hmm. And that led that little processor, little specialized processor, I might add, into other market areas, into scientific computing, into uh, AI, into automotive, into the watch you're probably wearing, um, into just almost everything that you can think of that's got some tech value to it has got a GPU buried in it somewhere. TVs, you know, play any everything. It's it's hard mm -hmm. to think of something that isn't. In the course of doing that. GPU's also gotten several names given to it. You know, there's a virtual GPU, an integrated GPU, a discrete GPU, a mining GPU, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and on that goes. So when you take that conglomerate of stuff, and remember that's going to include smartphones, right, which just knocks the needle off, needle off the scale, we take that, you're talking about billions of units. Well, that that's a lot of stuff. Now, if you shrink that down to just PC, which um, uh, we talk about, I guess, the most, and especially your show, um, <clears throat> the GPU shipments in PCs has done nothing but go up. And the GPU shipment in, GPs, G <laughs> in PCs has actually gone up more than the sale of PCs themselves. And that's due to a couple of mm -hmm. reasons. Uh, the primary reason is gamers doing retrofits. So they'll buy a system or build a system. That's one CPU. And they'll hang on to that for a bit. And then they'll replace the graphics board. So now we're selling multiple graphics boards, but same motherboard. So that's one thing. And the other one was we had two uh, run-ups of GPU sales due to crypto mining. And so that inflated the numbers, got Wall Street all excited. Or, you know, Wall Street can predict the trend on just two minutes of data. <clears throat> so they they got all you know thrilled about that. Um, at the same time, in this last run-up uh, due to mining, we also had a supply chain issue, which interrupted the ability to get these parts. That drove up the price. So we were seeing graphics boards selling for 3x what their manufacturer suggested retail price should be. And somebody was even buying them at those prices. Mm -hmm. Now, in between all that, there was a 
humongous group of speculators. And these guys would buy every and any item board that they could find. If, if an inventory item popped up on Best Buy or any others, they'd grab it. And then they'd own it. And instantaneously, you'd see it for sale at uh, an inflated price. Mm-hmm. And so they were speculating on that. The miners wanted these things so badly that they would buy them at any price. And probably some of that was true. The danger in all that was too many people who should have known better saw that as an opportunity and a trend and didn't mm-hmm. you know, stop to think, wait a minute, we've seen this movie before. It doesn't have a good ending. But they were also dealing with a constrained supply line. And so trying to balance this uh, uh, ridiculous inflated demand with a limited supply of parts was just, you know, probably one of the biggest challenges that in NVIDIA and AMD probably ever faced in terms of GPU land. So now that the bubble has popped, if it was a bubble, I think it was, uh, now we hear people bemoaning, oh, the PC market is shrinking and it's this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. The sky is falling. We're all going to die. It's all over. But that's it's just, you know, noise. It's if you look at the long term data, uh, this is things are kind of much on track. And here's the other thing to think about. If the world was that desperate, if things were going that badly, would Intel, NVIDIA, AMD, Qualcomm, Samsung and others be investing? And this is literally true. Billions of dollars in the mm-hmm. development of GPUs. Are they so stupid that they would pour money into a market that was declining and dying? I don't think mm-hmm. so. Certainly not dying. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting. Where I mostly interface with some of the points you're touching on here, which is like these, I feel like almost this obliviousness to realize this is a cycle, is people talking about pricing of graphics cards next generation. And they're like, oh, everything's going to be double the cost and NVIDIA is going to milk us and it's all going to be bad. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, this happened before. And then the next generation, it was actually cheaper because there was a crash and it had to be. I don't think there's any indication this generation is going to be nearly as hard to get a hold of, nearly as overpriced relative to the MSRP as we had before. And it's only been a couple years. There's been shortages throughout. I mean, people sometimes don't even remember before 2010. There's been tons <laughs> of shortages and crashes, RAM factories yeah. falling apart in Asia it's in the 90s. Like this, it happens. This time was a particularly bad time due to geopolitical issues, pandemic shortages, mining yeah. boom, all happened at the same time. Granted. And inflation. Don't forget that. Yeah. All th- yeah. And all at the same time, it was a perfect storm. But I've been telling people, don't be surprised if the prices we see next gen are just significantly better price performance than what we saw this entire generation. And it just, it happens, you know, and we've seen it before. We will see it again. There will always be things and, and, and not even just mining. Like I remember when Vega came out, people were showing these rendering rigs where they like six Vega graphics cards for rendering movies for like a college thing. It's like, there's going to be novel uses of products there's going to be a shortage it's going to it's going to happen and you shouldn't mm-hmm. assume it's always going to happen every year though yeah yeah and and you know short-term reacting to it is is not beneficial to anybody mm-hmm. it's um, you know it's it, it's like you know your dog barks oh my god someone's breaking into the house no your dog just barked you know it's not it's not the end of the world but there's another there's another um element of this that, that you should put in your thinking uh, and that is that 
we have two vectors running simultaneously. We have A, the vector of process node shrinking, mm-hmm. which is always a good thing, even though Moore's law is dead. <laughs> and the other one is we have die size and chip complexity increasing. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, exactly a lot. Uh, the problem that that exposes is yield. Mm-hmm. And so, and you won't hear uh, NVIDIA and AMD or Intel talk about that openly, uh, but nonetheless, it comes up and it smacks them in the butt uh, all the time. And and these wafers, they are so damn expensive. You can't imagine how much these things cost. Well, you, you I can, $20,000 sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, what one typically can't imagine. Uh, I mean, they're literally sheets of gold. <clears throat> and 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 then if only 50% of them are working, what the hell do you do? Well, you spin as much as you can so you can salvage some stuff off of it. But nonetheless, the yields are getting lower as mm. the process node goes down and the density goes up. And, well, and that's, well, what's interesting, though, is that wasn't true for a 7 nanometer or 5 nanometer. And they expected it to be. They were telegraphing it yeah. would be. But then they found actually better yields. Now we're hearing 3 nanometer. All right, back to the norm of new nodes being hard to get yields out of. But I don't know if that should we always assume it's going to be worse? Because I wouldn't be surprised if three was worse than five and seven, but then all of a sudden two is better than three because they figured out enough things fixing three. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right about that. I think that's exactly what happens is they they learn. They they, they literally learn. And it's it's trial and error. I mean, I was telling someone the other night, they were talking to me about this, and I said, You realize, of course, this is alchemy. No one really knows that this is going on. You can't prove that these things really exist or work. And they looked at me like I just landed from the moon. I said, well, consider this. You can have 100,000 transistors on the cross-section of your hair. Mm -hmm. Now, is that science fiction? Well, (laughs) yeah, and I I will actually add to that. I remember in one of my manufacturing classes in college, uh, when I was going to school for engineering, I was told... You know, most of what there's a whole class where like a whole section was just about R&D and the realities of R&D. And he said, yes, we do use science. We do understand physics to a degree. We do predict how things will react, plan ahead, design them. And it works like we said it would. But he said, honestly, to this day, 80 percent of R&D is guess and checking alchemy, which is what alchemy is for the layman. Right. When we say alchemy, what we're talking about is, does this work? Like there's like these billions they're pouring in. Is there like. Hope this works. They don't know ahead of time. Like, you know, yes. it doesn't, turns out this doesn't react that way, you know. Well, another number that you might find interesting is uh, these companies report the number of transistors in their in their chips. Mm-hmm. You know, NVIDIA's got, what, 58 billion transistors in their chip. I don't pay attention anymore. It's just so many billions. I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. pretend my brain comprehends there. <laughs> yeah. But um, they don't really know. I, I, I went through this with an engineer. He's now a very well-known vice president. But anyway, when he was an engineer, he and I went through this. So this was like, you know, 10 years ago. And um, I, I was forcing him to show me where these transistors were and how they were and so forth. And he said, look, we really don't know. It's a statistical model. <laughs> we, we think that's how many transistors are there. <laughs> he said, yeah. but we weren't really precisely sure. And the reason for that is, is that these chips, the GPUs and so forth, they're built from libraries, from libraries, from libraries. So that you, if you tore apart, if you could 
truly do a forensic analysis of a GPU, what you'd find is circuits in there that were designed 10 years ago, right? So the RTL for that 10-year-old circuit, if they could even find it, even Mm -hmm. they might be able to count the transistors in that. But in the meantime, that's going through five nodes and shrinkages and then redundancies to overcome the yield loss. And at that point in time, there's like, oh, I think there's maybe this many. Yeah, it's interesting to think of how complex, get you giving that real world example, it becomes to continue to innovate generation over generation of architectures of, you know, like graphics cards. And if you're starting from scratch, I'm just thinking about this from in terms of Intel, like how much of that historical knowledge you don't have, you know, for something this big and how many just little things are going to pop up mm-hmm. that you didn't account for that maybe you thought you wouldn't need to. Intel's kind of a special case because uh, they've been building GPUs for 15, maybe 20, 15 years at least. Um, but they haven't been super powerful GPUs. But nonetheless, they've been GPUs. They've got the construct and architecture of GPUs. They use the APIs and so forth. So Intel's not a novice at building GPUs. I remind people that too, because people will say, well, let's say two things. This is their, like Alchemist is their first try, speaking of alchemy. And I'll say, <laughs> no, it's not. DG1 was the first one that they sent out to developers for programming. And then they were making integrated graphics a decade before that. And if you check Steam right. hardware surveys, they've been selling a lot of those. So they have had practice. This isn't completely new to them, but I'm sorry, go on. Well, no, I was just going to point out that, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, not exposure, but a lot of examination of uh, what Intel is doing or not doing with regard to GPU land, a lot of opinions rendered for it and so forth, and, and finger pointing. And that's mm-hmm. what I was t- trying to get to is the finger pointing. And um, I know a lot of engineers at Intel, graphics engineers, and I've known them for a long time. And they know how to build a GPU. That that should not be a consideration. The problem at Intel, as with any big company, is there's politics. And there's people who are getting rewarded on the basis of some metric that some board member mm-hmm. or somebody else has come up with, which may or may not have a direct vector to reality and what's really important. And that's that's the, the soup that you have to, you know, find your way through. But the Intel engineers that I know are damn, damn capable and they could they could go anywhere on the planet and, and have whatever job they want. See, that's so interesting because this is something, you know, I, I put out a leak that Intel was considering canceling Arc. Not that the decision's been made, but they're considering canceling at least a discrete desktop gaming version of it i don't think they would cancel everything for sure obviously not they need it but you know and then i did a follow-up video some of the behind the scenes stuff and i've been looking at some of the people in the moore's laws at discord and you know they're debating what's going on who's to blame all of that and it's interesting to see so many people go oh i think this person should be fired i think that engineer should be fired and i'm like i don't think you can be 100 percent sure it's their fault it might be you know the buck has to stop somewhere it might be mm-hmm. this one person's fault but this is a huge team and they hired him some of these people for a reason. I, I don't know that we can be so sure unless we talk to a thousand people at Intel mm-hmm. exactly who's to blame. And we have to remember that before a lot of people joined Intel recently, it was already a company that was having some issues. It could just be they still need to fix the cultural stuff. Yeah, they've, they've struggled that for a while. You know, the, <clears throat> they've had a revolving door in the CEO suite ever since. Um, I, don't know, I forgot the guy's name, but anyway, for, for, for quite some time. And 
Whereas I used to admire the transitional program that Intel had, uh, it was very well structured and very well thought out. They they got chaotic, and they were dropping in CEOs. You know, we'd go him, why him? Mm. And and it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, the difficulty in that is it it disrupts the continuity of the company's main plan. Uh, one of the things that you can say about uh, NVIDIA that you can't say about very few other companies mm. is that they have had consistent management 25 years. Yeah, now, How many companies can make a claim like that? And whether you like Jensen or not doesn't really matter. Fact is, he's been there every day, all day, you know, leading the troops saying this is, this is the direction we're going in, right or wrong, this direction we're going in. And they've followed him and done that, and they've had a conditional and and repetitive process. And that's a magic. That's a, that's a, an investment you just can't go out and buy. That just mm-hmm. takes time, 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 and time. Yeah, and I mean, thinking of like Lisa Sue at AMD, which is doing fantastic. I pointed this out to people. You know, AMD didn't seem like it was really on track until like three or four years until after she joined when she and they were a smaller company so it was probably easier for her to start a new culture and it still took years for it to really sink in well um you have to give rory her predecessor a lot of credit he 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 is something of an unsung hero in my opinion because he brought her in and he brought in um paper master and he brought in Keller, and you know he 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 laid the foundational for it uh, for for mm-hmm. that. And when she took over, she had a working machine, right? It still had some bugs in it, and it was you know under resourced because they didn't have any money. But uh, you know, she didn't just parachute in there and, and suddenly you know, know wave a magic and wand and everything got better. They're probably just, more similarly minded to Rory and Lisa than these entirely different CEOs we've had for Intel mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. past decade, right? Yeah, no, I I think you know, it's too bad he left because I think he would have made a really great uh, up um, um, front CEO guy. You know, Lisa could run all the engineering and back stuff, and he could he could be the face and so forth because he's a great salesman. That's where he came from, Novo. But anyway, they they did what they did, and AMD is not suffering. Did you see the share price today? Yeah, it's doing. <laughs> it's they're overtaking Intel at least. You know, market cap on Wall Street right now. Um, let, let me let me ask this then. I mean, the last time we talked, like I said, beginning of 2020. So that was before, that was still when I was getting rumors that, or hearing whispers that some prototypes for ARC, then it was just called ZHPG or XEHPG, were multi-tile. They were still trying to get the multi-tile mm-hmm. thing working before they scaled it down near the end of the year. What were you expecting out of ARC even before 2021? Like, what did you think would even successfully do? Or did you really have any expectations that far back? 2021? Before 2021, oh, even. Before. Because they announced uh, it, I think, in 2018. It's been a long time. Yeah, I I don't know this for a fact. It's a supposition on my part. But I think uh, the project actually started in 2017. Mm-hmm. And... Um, from 2017 to about 2019 or 20, um, it was a monolithic die. Mm-hmm. And I think probably about 2019, and, and I'm not 100% confident on these dates, but I know that the transition took place and they um, trans- transitioned to a multi-die approach. 
which in my opinion was the right thing and a smart thing to do because of the yield problem we were discussing about earlier. You know, it's a lot easier to get a lot of yield from little parts than it is one big one. At the end of the day, though, what they have now is just single die, though. Well, <laughs> there's other problems when you do multi-die. There's a thing called fabric. Yeah, I get those mm-hmm. little dies to talk together. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and video will tell you very quickly that, you know, uh, a monolithic die is much more efficient and, and consequently more powerful performance-wise. So there's, there's pros and cons. Um, AMD has figured it out on the CPU side for sure. Mm-hmm. And the signals that we are hearing from AMD is that next-gen GPUs are going to be multi-tile. Yep. I, yeah, I hear the same. But I do think that's very, very interesting because what I my channel started really, honestly, it really wasn't going until the middle of 2019, I would say. And it's funny you say that it started off monolithic, then became multi-die, because I had several leaks from a few contacts late 2019, early 2020 about them testing out tons of tiles in a GPU, but that they used an absurd amount of energy and had tons of bugs. And I was told it was the fabric. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's very validating to hear you say you've heard similar things. And so then they just went, oh, never mind. We're going back to a monolithic design. did you you, that, that changes everything, Tom, because then you gotta you gotta redo the compiler mm-hmm. for the API for the drivers. Because all that changes because the the even though the API is the same, when you cross over the API in the GPU space, then you gotta know if you're gonna expose a processor, where the hell is it? And can I get to it directly or do I have to make a hop to get there? Yeah, it sounds like then, so you weren't necessarily having many expectations at first, but you knew that it had entirely changed designs, I guess, twice. And it's, uh, no, as it was being worked on, I guess last year then, what were you expecting out of Alchemist? Because uh, frankly, I was, it was, I was told it was actually supposed to come out late last year. Um, but like, what were you expecting? Did you think it would end up successful, mediocre? Mm-hmm. Is what's happening now a surprise to you? Well, um, I'll give you two answers to that. Um, well, I asked three questions, though. It's only fair you give me. <laughs> so uh, one, of, one of the two answers is going to be a little uh, history story. Uh, but first of all, uh, I've taken the position publicly that uh, Intel will get 10% market share just for showing up. Mm-hmm. Their brand is that powerful. Uh, they, they just say, here it is, take it, and, and there are going to be people buying it. And so the history story that goes with that is when Intel introduced the i740, which you may have not may have may have heard of. I don't know, but um, it was a, it wasn't a GPU; it was a, a graphics processor. And and Pat Gelsinger was the was the program manager of it, and I, I did a little consulting to him on it. But um, when they introduced that part, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to say these things without being rude. Um, my opinion, I'll put it that way, regardless of who I gave my opinion to, my opinion was that the part would not do well. Mm. And uh, Intel came out with it nonetheless. And um, overnight, I mean, it seemed like overnight, maybe it took a whole month, I don't know, but it seemed like overnight, they had, no exaggeration, 100 add-in board partners. And mm-hmm. all 100 of them were advertising an Intel i740 graphics board. One year later, you couldn't find one. Mm-hmm. So that's the power of their brand is that Intel goes to the add-in board makers and PC makers and so forth and says, we now have a, a GPU 
people are going to buy that. The OEMs are going to buy that. The, the partners are going to buy that because Intel will do such advertising for them, such brand building, and and draw customers in for them. They, it's it's irresistible. Well, it's funny though. You said in a year you couldn't find them anymore. That's that's what I'm hearing now. Like whether I talk to someone at Asus, MSI, I, and I can say these names because literally every AIB says this. Like name the AIB I've talked to them. They've said the same thing. So I'm really not leaking who I talk to if it's all of them. And they uh they all say they don't want to work with Intel on this anymore. That they were excited early this year, and then they said they were told it was coming out early. They were told it was coming out late 2021. And they were told it's coming out early 2022. And then they were told it's coming out summer. And now it's August. Summer's almost over. And multiple of them are saying, I mean, we're going to do the bare minimum to keep Intel a partner. But besides that, this is a complete waste of our time. We don't think they know what they're doing. And we don't want to launch anything until they've literally launched it for months to prove it's actually coming out. So it it doesn't sound good right now, though. And I almost wonder if Intel's mindshare just isn't what it used to be, to be honest. Uh, it's it's questionable because their channel management seems to be really uh, off track. Um, it takes a minimum of 90 days to roll out a marketing campaign for a new product. Mm-hmm. And, and what AMD, Intel, NVIDIA do is they go to the OEMs almost a year in advance and say, look, Here's the roadmap. Here's what we're going to do. This is going to drop on this date. We're going to have this thing here for you here. It's going to have these specs. Might be a little vague in terms of what the specs are going to be. We have to figure out what we can actually get to work. But the plans are pretty solid. And then the AIBs and the PCOEMs and so forth, they take that data and then they build their marketing plan. Well, meanwhile, it's tick, 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 Mm -hmm. right? And with every tick, it's a kajunk of money falls. And you know, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, right? And yeah. so, and, and they don't have money to throw away. These guys work on the really thin margins. Right, they're not Intel, they're not NVIDIA. These people, they, they are, uh, Asus is getting pretty huge, but besides them, these companies don't have money to burn. Like if no. they put it in money into this, it has to become something. But they're squeezed on both sides. They're squeezed on the component supplier, whether it's Intel, NVIDIA, or whoever. And then they're squeezed on the distribution size. You know, mm-hmm. Amazon says, this is what we will pay. No negotiation. You know, take it or leave it. Because if you if you leave, I got someone else I can talk to. Right. And and he's in the lobby right now waiting for me. Well, yeah, that's the thing is I'm kind of hearing like it seemed a little shaky at first because of the oversupply of last gen. But it seems like NVIDIA and to a lesser extent, AMD has just swooped in and said, hey, our graphics cards are coming out in a few months. Yeah. We'll help you with your existing supply after Intel burns you to like, if you'll buy extra orders for next gen. And it sounds like they have. Yeah. So it, it, NVIDIA, especially, and also AMD has already swooped in to fill in that malcontent these AIBs have towards Intel. And so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would agree with what you said earlier. If you'd have asked me a year ago, if Intel launches something, anything could be a 3050 competitor an RTX 3050 competitor that they sell for 200 bucks that's it and if they make enough of them and it works people will buy it but it doesn't what they have doesn't seem to work very well and this just prolonged drawn out launch period this is something when I was talking about what could go wrong I didn't really expect it to be this bad of it I actually I was watching some of my older videos that I I did actually kind of 
say I thought this might be a weird launch, but I didn't expect it to be this drawn out at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering if, um, I, I mean, do you still think Intel can just launch something now and then every 10% of the market will buy it, especially in a market that has an oversupply of last gen mining cards on eBay? I don't know that they can do that. People just go to eBay and get a used 3070 or something. Well, I wouldn't go near it. I wouldn't touch one. <clears throat> A used mining card is just, you know, that you maybe got three weeks worth of operation out of it. I actually will dispute that. I don't think we should go into it too much, but I did a lot of mining. Um, My gaming cards broke more often, but it depends which miner, because if you run it at a constant mm-hmm. voltage, it really doesn't, as long yeah, as you have a well, good fan on if it. If you do you that, know. that's a big if. Yeah, but I don't know any miner who didn't, right? Because you're running at a constant clock speed at a constant temperature, whereas gaming you're fluctuating. They didn't change on purpose. The difficulty was maintaining it. Power supplies failed. Yeah, well, I also learned which power supply companies are actually reliable. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's, that's a hard lesson, though. But nonetheless, there are all these cards being sold. A couple of other points to make is that... um, when you make a GPU, you don't just make a chip. You have to provide your customers with a SIM system so they can start their advanced planning and testing and so forth. You have to you have to show them a really rock solid production schedule and what their allocation is. And and as soon as possible, you need to give them prototypes. And I haven't heard anything from the you know mm-hmm. channels that I listen to that Intel is putting that stuff out. That was part of my report that I put out a week ago is that I still have these presentations to AIBs that say to be confirmed when like entire board designs cost bombs are done. And I'm like, well, if the bomb's not done, this thing, NVIDIA briefed people on Lovelace bombs like two months ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this thing ain't coming out. We'll be lucky if it's out in September, honest, is my opinion. And talking about the bomb, the other part that the AIB makers have to deal with is they're not just dealing with NVIDIA, right? They Mm -hmm. have to go source memory. They have to go source capacitors. They have to go source power regulators, right? They get that whole plethora of, of peripheral stuff. Absolutely. I was explaining this to some of my friends. We were playing Deep Rock Galactic Online and I was talking about like how I have this knowledge that like AIBs are still in the dark. And I'm like, I used to work in automotive manufacturing and it's a similar process though. Someone came to us, we were a supplier of parts for cars. They said, we need this type of like engine, you know, support system. And we go, okay, well, let us go talk to this tube supplier, this connector supplier, this bolt supplier. All of just getting a hold of everyone took a week, (laughs) putting it together, like even if the design is mostly done and it's probably a bit simpler of a process for a graphics card, but um, for some of these AIBs, but still, I can't think of anything getting done in under a month. And frankly, the craziest times we had, I think we got, we went from start to finish on some designs in like three months. And that was like. A nightmare, you know, and a simple thing to and a simple design. So when people, when I tell people, at a minimum, I know that at the beginning of July, AIB didn't still didn't know the final specs, bomb, and design of the top cards. That should tell you right there. I mean, it's going to take a week for them to even get some of their like capacitor suppliers on the phone, let alone to mm-hmm. finish their mm-hmm. board designs. And and then you hope that they're going to ship what they promised, and then you hope that they're going to work, and then you hope that they're going to continue to work. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, NVIDIA had one episode that they went through a few years back where one of their board partners cheaped out on the capacitor supplier and mm-hmm. bought 
you know, second grade capacitors because it saved three cents per capacitor, put them in the boards, boards ran for an hour and failed. The 1-800 call went to NVIDIA, not the board partner. And then you go, we, what? What are you calling us for? And so that's when NVIDIA flipped over and said, okay, we are now going to determine what goes in those boards. And that's the deal. You take, you put this part in or you don't get the, the chip. And, mm-hmm. and they really had to put their hand down hard to, to, to because their reputation was being damaged. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of skipping over more of any discussion regarding what we expected, uh, you know, in the past, let's just kind of get into then this summer, whether you're getting exercise outside or finding ways to stay active indoors like me, it's always nice to have something around that acts as a quick and tasty meal that's also healthy, full of protein, and reasonably priced. For me, that's Vite Ramen, who is a sponsor of this piece of content. Vite Ramen is an American company that pays its workers fair wages and crafts a protein and nutrient-dense meal that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. In fact, it's even quicker now with Ramen Go, a product that offers the same calories and taste as their traditional V3 packages you're probably used to now if you're a follower of this channel, while allowing you to even more quickly make your food or bring it to work for lunch. And they keep updating their recipes, like the new V3 edition of Beef Pho, so you keep having fun new flavors to try. Click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a variety of different special bundles just for Moore's Lawset fans that include things like spoons, chopsticks, and more if you so choose. This is a great deal for you, and it helps support this channel tremendously. Seriously, I eat it. It's tasty. It's healthy. It's fast. They keep making even better and better recipes that are quicker and quicker to make, and it's reasonably priced. Try Vite Ramen today. What do you expect now? I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts, but like, what do you expect now out of Alchemist? And then I want to start talking about that article you wrote about if AXG should be sized down or canceled or whatever. Like, what do you expect is going to happen over the next two months? Because according to the roadmaps I have, it's still supposed to like, I guess I expect a whimper of a paper launch by the end of September. But the roadmap literally says something called arc story. It doesn't even say launch, it says story. I don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I saw that that word too. It kind of threw me off as well. Um, I, my, my expectations are very low. Um, they have gone from medium to high. Uh, not super high, but uh, high medium, <laughs> uh, to now very low. And and the reason uh, that I say that is because the, the stuff is just isn't there. It, I mean, you look at the announcements that are being made, the driver announcements. I mean, mm-hmm. One of the comments I made in the article you re- made reference to is, Linux, that's your first choice for an API? That's, that's the first driver you're going to build is Linux? You know, have you heard of DirectX and Cronus and those people? So that's very shady right there as to why they would do that. Um, I just don't think they have anything. I think I think it's it's I think they've got a lot of parts. Don't misunderstand mm-hmm. me. They've actually even sold a couple of hundred thousand of them, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I don't think this stuff is coming even close to what they had hoped it would be. Yeah, what what I've heard is they may need to even do a retape out of silicon with hardware fixes for the scheduler in the top die at the very least, which yeah. is rumored to come out early next year if they can do it. ATI, ATI, when it was ATI still, just at the very end of ATI before they got acquired, they went through a system like that. They had a, a really great new design. It was really top-notch. It was a killer. And they had one little race 
problem inside a couple of transistors. And it took them, I'm trying to remember, seven different tries to get it to work. Mm. It's that seven different masks, and those masks are a quarter million dollars each. You know, and and ATI wasn't rolling in cash at the time either, <clears throat> and, and 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 the product was late, and so all the performance that this thing had when it finally came out was proven that it had it was too late. They had a they had a sales window of about two months instead of a year. Yeah, and and that's kind of the feeling I'm getting for Alchemist right now as well as. I mean, it's like I, I leaked specs for it at the end of 2020, two years before it came out, uh, or almost two years, I guess more like a year and a half. And there were benchmarks back then in 3D Mark that showed it above a 3070 sometimes mm-hmm. and some yeah, benchmarks with some models. Okay, again, very validating to hear that. So, but that was one benchmark. Those were some samples. And you just go, all right, then they've clearly backtracked on the performance tier they're going to go for consistently with their segmentation cancel the top model but now it's still like gamers nexus put out a video where they're looking at benchmarks and and half of the games there's just flickering or like a thing isn't the right color mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's like all this crazy stuff and i i just go you know to me it seems like they are barely even showing off the top cards right now the smaller ones don't work in half of the games i look it sounded good until it didn't <laughs> and now that we have you know now that they've put enough rope out there to hang themselves with with all of these claims it's just i, I don't I, I i'm just saying it again i guess I, I don't mean to be repetitive to the listeners but like i guess i'm saying i it just seems like what we're going to get is a whimper of a launch in a couple in a month or two and then it's going to be like this dragged out thing. And then maybe they'll have new refreshed silicon early next year. And if that works, maybe art continues. <laughs> but otherwise, it really seems like management right now is watching to see. All right, look, things have certainly not gone well, but you guys have like seven months to prove you can fix this gen and you're on track for next gen. Because if not, it's not a matter of what we want. We don't have the money to fund this. I mean, is that your assessment of what's going on there as well? Or No, I think that's a perfectly reasonable analysis and, and, and conclusion to come to. Um, coming back to the flickering and so forth that you saw or that was reported seen, <clears throat> um, that's an indication of uh, a miscommunications within the company between the architectural people and the driver riders. You know, we talked earlier in this conversation about how Intel has been shipping GPUs successfully for for decade and a half or more, right? And it has it has pretty damn solid drivers. Well, what happened? You know, did all the driver writers quit? Did all well, the and I want to point this out too. There's been a canary in the coal mine. Their integrated Tiger Lake graphics were starting to have problems running games at all about a year ago. And I had a MacBook with Broadwell integrated graphics that I actually ran Windows on to play Battlefield 4. It ran fine. I never had a single driver issue in any game mm-hmm. I played on that Broadwell notebook. But I've seen constant reports in the past year before Arc even started launching of their integrated graphics just not able to boot some games. So it almost seems like something went wrong that's not even related to the graphics cards, too. I mean, drivers are hard. They are really, really hard. Um, You know, you can and you saw an example that 
Intel even put out. You can double your performance with a good driver. And you notice that uh, NVIDIA and AMD, for example, when they release the first-gen driver on something, 30 to 60 days later, there comes a new driver. And guess what? Things work better. It's because mm-hmm. they found ways to you know, shorten a, a particular run and a particular read-write operation. And 30 days after that, an even better driver shows up. So it's an evolutionary learning process. That mechanism seems to be broken at Intel. They don't seem to be getting any kind of cadence of learning. So hang on, and and the finger that you point at that is changes in management's objectives. Mm. If management says, okay, now we're going to do this, and now we're going to do that, now we're going to do this. And the driver writers are saying, okay, fine, just give me I can't work on a moving target. I can't fix the airplane while it's in flight. Mm-hmm. So you do think it's a, and I think a lot of people wouldn't question you on this opinion, but like you do think it's a management issue then like why, like a lot. Yeah, of Like I said, I think Intel has probably some of the finest engineers in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you just need to get out of their way and let them do their job. They know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's unfair in my opinion that uh, they should be getting the heat because of changing objectives within the company. So let me jump right into it then. You wrote this article talking about will AXG survive Gelsinger's axe? What, What would you summarize your thoughts on, you know, what the news coming out and what do you think Intel should do? Um. Well, first of all, uh, I think that if anybody on this planet can fix Intel, it's Pat Gelsinger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have so much regard for him. And one of the reasons I feel that way is, A, first of all, he's honest. He's a no-bullshit guy, right? B, he's smart as hell, so you're not going to bluff him or trick him. And C, he's rational. And, you know, he's got a company that's bleeding money. He's already jettisoned six other divisions and groups and things trying to, you know, stem the flow. He's just not going to let it go on. for. They've, they've dumped, in my opinion, $3.5 billion into this thing. Mm-hmm. They've hired anybody who could spell GPU. And what have they got to show for it? $3.5 billion they don't have anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So he's just not going to let that go on like that. No, they better pull a rabbit out of the hat real fast, or he's not going to have any choice. Because if he doesn't fix it, he's the ex-CEO. Hmm. Yeah, and what's interesting is I actually put out a little update near the end of a video last night, and I got this from an internal all-company meeting, and I have screenshots of it. So this is, in a, you know, I guess, you know, frequently in like a Tuesday meeting, Pat will address all the blue badge people. And one of them asked him, is ARC being canceled? And he said, absolutely not. I'm quoting here, but on screen for me. ARC has come out of the gate slower than I would have liked, but I'm not in the slightest bit deterred. In fact, I'm just a little bit more committed after our slow start. And there was also some alluding to that this is personal for him because of the I-740 Larrabee as well. So that's interesting to hear him at least say internally, there's no way, at least not right now. And yet, when I talked to other people yesterday, it, I, I'm not hearing good things about this evaluation to see if they should cancel ARC. So there's definitely some people in upper management that think it will happen or could happen. 
And yet Pat's saying he's he doesn't want to let it happen. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, um, Intel's in a really awkward spot on the on this GPU stuff, and and part of it is that you know they're committed to this Ponte Vecchia uh, supercomputer, which mm-hmm. is now late due to Intel. Well, that's not only an embarrassment to Intel; it's an embarrassment to the United States, and it's also jeopardizing the supercomputer race that we're in with China and and other places. And that's that's an exposure that a company like Intel just can't afford, mm-hmm. because you know the U.S. government is one of their biggest customers on one side, and on the other side, Pat's rattling his tin cup saying, "Hey, could you give me some money to build a fab?" Right. Mm-hmm. So he's in a really tight spot there in terms of making the U.S. government feel good about Intel. And if Ponte Vecchia doesn't come to life, that's going to be, you know, more than a shot in the foot. Mm-hmm. What do you, I guess, I, I, I don't mean to like, you know, speculate too much and like play armchair, you know, psychiatrist, I mean, psychologist, <laughs> nor psychic. But it's like, what do you think is going on here? Because my reading between the lines is, look, right with him and what Raja Kadori tweeted on Twitter, right, is, um, well, technically, they didn't say they're not considering it. If you look, they didn't deny those (laughs) that rumor. What they said is it's not canceled now. Uh, For me, I do believe Pat, I, I, you know, this by all accounts, this is true. Graphics is personal for Pat. So I believe him there. But at the same time, what I'm hearing is like, I mean, and, and some of this is just public, like they've lost like $390 million in AXG that they're just reported in their quarter two earnings. I don't know that they have the money to lose like half a billion or something dollars a year for like half a decade now. And I think that's half a billion a quarter. Half a billion a quarter. Like if that happens, they'll just, it's not a matter of what he wants. I don't think they would have the money unless they can start profiting by the end of Battle Mage. Like, I think if they decide, hey, all evidence is Battle Mage is behind schedule. We can't even fix Alchemist. We're probably not going to profit for many years. Then I think they'll go, we have no choice. Or do you think Pat would do something crazy? Like, because they have 121,000 employees. They've like, was it like nine, eight times or something? Sometimes like the amount of employees AMD has right now. and. That's money's got to come from somewhere if they're burning it, right? Yeah. Like if they don't cancel AXG, does that mean cuts somewhere else? And would those cuts be smart? That's that's one choice. But the other thing to put into your thinking is that uh, not only does he have a late product and an embarrassment with customers, but he also has rising cost of goods. Mm-hmm. TSMC has t- you know told him that our prices are going up, and and he's made two trips to TSMC to try and secure um, capacity. And negotiate price with TSMC. I mean, you know, they're going to negotiate, they're going to deal and so forth, but nonetheless, costs are going up. And that's just one part. That's just the GPU. All the stuff around is going to be going up. So he's got rising COG, right? Declining performance based on what they started out bragging about, a unstable software platform underneath it in terms of drivers and everything, and pissed off customers. God, what a. And by the way, it just came out this morning, too, that there's an internal roadmap at Intel going around showing Meteor Lake is no longer on the roadmap for uh, middle of next year, even for laptops. So that was a thing that was going to use three nanometer at TSMC next year, too. And it's TSMC after those flights is now, all right, you flew here to get more capacity and now you're canceling it. Yeah. Guess what's going to happen next time you come to ask. 
Well, so I think you made it, and tell me if I'm interpreting this wrong, that you think they probably should cancel AXG is what I think you're saying, or that they have to. No one wants to use well, the word should. So, you know, you asked the question early in the conversation, what should in, Intel do? And uh, if Intel knocked on my door and said, John, we'd like you to come and appraise this project and tell us what we should do, my first action would be to go audit what's going on. And I think that Intel, you mentioned 180,000 people. I think Intel is so goddamn big. I don't think. But still a lot of people, 120,000. <laughs> whatever the number is, you know, when yeah. you get above 100, who counts? Yeah. <laughs> but I think that that company is so big that they probably, it really is a case of the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. I think they are, mm -hmm. I think they are disjointed and disconnected with multiple management objectives that don't necessarily line up. And that's, that's chaos. So, and I, and I, and that's why this evaluation is happening for everyone wondering. It's, it's like, I mean, clear. And, and I mean, I have roadmaps that show what they're saying to some people. It Like I've shown it to people like this is what their roadmap says. This is what they're telling you. So there is literally examples of them telling one side, one thing and telling another, mm -hmm. another, you know, AXG that is, and I'm sure this audit is, Hey, are they doing anything they're telling us they're doing? Like, that's probably what a lot I mean, of this is about. You know, I think the last thing I said in the article you made reference to is that I'm, I'm one of the three blind men. What the hell is this thing? You know, we don't, we, mm -hmm. we don't know. I mean, it's, it's opaque. So Bart writes in um, from the Moore's Laws at Patreon, just like you guys can if you support us. And he says, hi, Tom and John. I'm interested in your perspective on art cancellation in relation to the industry moving to advanced packaging and chiplets in the future. We've already heard about AMD making a server APUs with coherent memory, and NVIDIA already has Grace Hopper. Do you think that Intel sees this as important enough to keep server graphics for a computer around, even if they ax the customer side? Or does Intel think they'll be able to fill that hole with different accelerators or maybe even chiplets from others? Thanks and greetings from the Netherlands. <laughs> I love the Netherlands. Me too. <laughs> we do. Yeah. So if I had to live somewhere, I think that's where I'd go. Um, Intel has demonstrated a um, surprising um, practicality over the years. You may recall that there was a time when they bought AMD GPUs and embedded them into a chip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the Vega GHGL thing. Yeah, with so, like so they, they demonstrated that they, they'll do things to solve a problem until they can get their internal machinery working. And I think that's where they are now. Is they're trying, I mean, they're really trying to get the internal machinery working. And um, it, it's 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 probably insidious. You know, they'll fix this part and that part will spring loose and then they'll fix that part and something over mm -hmm. here will leak and they're running around, running around, you know, plugging things up. So it's really hard to predict and forecast what they're going to do because I think their options vary almost day to day. Yeah. Uh, well, let me just move on to this, though. Guntis Peglis writes, he says, Hello, Tom and John. I'm super boned about the possibility of Intel canning ARC entirely, as this obviously means that NVIDIA and AMD get to keep their duopoly status. What does your gut feeling tell you? Will Intel decide to switch their focus back to their CPUs, or will they stick it out and grow their graphics division with time despite the losses? And I'm just kind of combining with, with the previous reader mail from Bart I read as well. Like, all of this... All right, we, we, we've talked about what you think they should do. 
what what do you think they will do? Will they ax half of consumer, all of consumer, keep data center alive? Oh, okay. For reference, everything I've heard is that data center ain't going anywhere, and Raja Kadori is going to keep running it. Probably. I think what would be um, uh, a reasonable expectation for what Intel might do is I think that they could uh, pull back on the discrete GPU. I think they will always have an integrated GPU because they've done it well for decades mm-hmm. and there's no reason to throw that away. That works. <clears throat> but I think what the what they could do is <clears throat> pull back from the DGPU and announce a uh, technology transfer partnership where they sell the group to some OEM mm-hmm. under the presence of uh, you know, it just doesn't quite fit within the mainstream business of uh, Intel as a semiconductor manufacturing company because it's more uh, consumer product oriented. And so it's better off going to this uh, partner of ours who is in the consumer electronics business and they'll know how to deal with this. And there'll be some exchange of money and it'll be, you know, enough to have Intel save face. At the same time, I think that they'll try to make that high-end thing work for Ponte Vecchio because their reputation spread all over that. Mm-hmm. So, that so I think they would, you know, do whatever they had to do to make that work and probably the significant loss. Get rid of the DGPU project and continue to full steam manufacture integrated. And you think they technically keep like the ARC brand around or something and then just say this company is going here and we're going to say our share technology or do you think it would be an effective gutting of all discrete work uh, besides their top data center or something it, it would depend upon how many ligaments of it they kept i mean when 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 they sell off things uh it's lock stock and barrel it's the brand mm-hmm. it's everything you take it all <clears throat> but if they keep pieces of it then they might want to hang on to that because i mean that's the other thing to think about is that they have invested a tremendous amount of money in establishing that brand, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. uh, so that's that's not something you just throw out the window haphazardly. I mean, there's going to be a lot of thinking going on about that. Uh, but if they find a customer who really wants that product line badly enough, then they'll take the brand too. Mm-hmm. Let me jump into this. I mean, Sarcastro writes in. He says, mellow greetings, Tom and John. It's an interesting opening there. If <laughs> Intel decides to cancel ARC at some point, what is the probability of another company in the industry approaching Intel to buy the intellectual property of ARC? Can either of you think of a company who would have the desire and monetary resources besides NVIDIA or AMD to have an interesting offer to Intel to mitigate losses or recoup as much as they can? And... Who would have the staffing for the initial evaluation of the architecture and software? Would Intel be willing to sell the IP, bury ARC in a New Mexico pit? Considering this is the first big push to challenge the GPU duopoly, it would seem such a waste of an opportunity for someone, anyone, to not try to saddle up and buy into this market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think he answered his own question. Someone would, you think? Yeah. Someone would buy yeah. it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think if 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 word got out that Intel was looking for a buyer, there'd be plenty of people knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think we need to dwell on it too long. But who would come to mind for you? I mean, the only one I, you know what I would think is maybe Apple, like to continue to <laughs> use the IP within their own. That would be stuff. the last one I would think of. Really? I mean, yeah. Why? Because they just don't need it, frankly. Uh, 
boy, you know, you, you're pushing me right near my, my NDA edges. But um, <clears throat> let's just say they have relationships with other companies that would preempt that quite significantly. Okay. All right. So not Apple. But does a company come to mind do you think immediately that you think would yeah, yeah I think um and here again i'm I'm talking out my butt like I usually do, but um I could see Dell picking it up, for example and hmm. and h p two for that matter uh, I can even yeah you said o e m you think like a major o e m would get into making their own graphics cards sure they everybody wants to be vertically integrated everybody wants to be Apple and be vertically integrated right they don't want to have to deal with subcontractors and and, and suppliers, and, and they want to control their destiny. They want to control their inventory, their cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. And um, if you can imagine, and both Dell and HP are powerhouse technical companies. So this wouldn't be hard for them to pick it up. In fact, uh, HP used to build GPUs. So it's not going to be a problem. And Dell, many, many years ago, built a little GPU, believe it or not. Huh. What about someone like Microsoft? They're technically kind of an OEM in a way. Like they make their own laptop. Yeah, I can product. see them doing it. Yeah. I would just worry it would turn into a thing. <laughs> did, though, that would truly be the end of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, <laughs> I was thinking that too. Is I can't imagine it go well, though, because I'm thinking of like voodoo graphics. This isn't the exact same thing, but like they were like, oh, you know what? Now we're going to manufacture our own everything we're going to be vertically integrated mm -hmm. from top to bottom and they found out oh we can't do this that well this is actually pretty hard do you do you think it would go well if hp or dell or microsoft bought it uh well i have such high regard for the engineering skills of those two companies that i think yeah you think they could do it then it yeah, would just... not like that but also um going back to my earlier conversation i mean look at dell dell's another company that has consistent management Mm -hmm. and and they do and, lately they're i think they had a rocky period about 15 years ago but <laughs> 15 okay <laughs> when nvidia was five years old yeah anyway the point being is that they've had stable uh, management they have very very smart management uh they have extraordinary technical skills i mean you just it's dell doesn't brag about it as much as i think they could but you'd be you'd be astonished to see the technology that dell works on and comes out with i i know this because i get to do beta testing on some of it, and I'm, I'm just always blown away. I'm, I'm looking at you right now through a 4K camera that I beta tested two years ago for mm. Dell, right? Two years ago, they gave me a 4K camera. And, and that's now how, it's that's how ahead of the curve they are. Um, well, I mean, Logitech makes 4K cameras, too. I don't now, you know. Now, no, they made them like six years ago. Dell's came out after. I I, I do know too okay, because I'll I've been looking at cameras. But yeah, they did manage to make one. Um, I will say that they're the only other one that makes one. Basically, Chris Rich writes in and he says there's plenty of reasons for Intel to want to get a big slice of the dedicated graphics market and the server mm -hmm. equivalents, and mm -hmm. it would likely be a win for consumers as well. However, with their core business under massive attack from AMD, maybe they'd be better off just putting those billions of R&D into x86 instead. Or Intel being too greedy, could this be a fatal strategic mistake? And well, I mean, that's the thing they can't lose, x86. And right. they're already mm -hmm. under a ton of pressure, right? Mm -hmm. And this is why, to make sure it's not just running out of money. It's like they may realize they actually have to spend twice as much on x86 than they thought they did to keep up with AMD, right? Well, uh, not just AMD, but they've got uh, ARM on the other side banging on the door. <clears throat> so, mm -hmm. and, and, and right behind them is risk five. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like it used to be where 
Intel owned x86 and everybody wished they had. Uh, it's now that there's a lot of people willing to take Intel on uh, at x86. Okay, so I think that's most of what I want to discuss with Intel, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. NVIDIA, AMD. How do you see NVIDIA's place in the market? You know, it's been over two years since we talked, and AMD is not the same company it was even just two years ago. Mm-hmm. What is, how do you see Radeon's place in the market now next to GeForce? At the, uh, at the AMD financial analyst meeting that they held about, um, I don't know, three weeks, maybe a month ago, I can't remember exactly now, <clears throat> Lisa Sue came out and made a presentation. And one of the points that she made, and she made it strongly too, was that this is a different AMD. Mm-hmm. And the difference is uh, the company has money in the bank, a lot of money in the bank. They went from, from a debt-ridden company that you didn't think was going to survive till the end of the week to a company that is, I won't say rolling in cash, but they have plenty of cash. They have it now, finally. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and their CFO, by the way, gets extraordinary kudos from me from it because he, he I think, managed that situation incredibly well and, and, and with little resources, too. Uh, but anyway, so they went from that situation. Simultaneously, they grew in size due to sales. Uh, they've been, in my opinion, very judicious in the uh, pickup of talent. They haven't just hired anybody that knocked on the door and said, can I get work here? Uh, and they picked up some really clever and smart people. Well, it's like you say, Intel hired anyone who can say spell graphics card, it seems, yeah. whereas yeah, AMD is mean, being very specific in who they choose. Right. So I think that, and so what she said was AMD is now at scale. And that's that's mm. a very important statement because what that signals the world is that we can now do things. And they demonstrated that by buying Xilinx. Z- 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 Right? That was a spectacular acquisition on their part. <clears throat> you know, the inventor of the FPGA. Mm-hmm. So uh, they are at scale. And as a company at scale, they can now put more resources into the GPU. The GPU was a second-class citizen of AMD for too long a time, even though they had... I mean, when they almost went out of business, they were... They only made like what the RX 480, 470. They're only making a couple of mid range dies yeah. from like, and even Vega, they didn't push it as hard as they made one basically for desktop, one Vega die. That's it. That's all they used with Polaris below it. They were making very, very few hard yeah. silicon designs for well, years. It's, it's, it was a resource issue. You know, I've got, mm-hmm. I've got $10 to spend. Where do I spend it? Well, anyway, yeah. that's behind them now. They can do more. And you can see them pushing out on it. And one of the areas you can see them pushing out is in the Pro Series. I mean, mm-hmm. AMD was the first company to do GPU compute back in 2000. Mm-hmm. When, when, when the guys at Stanford were running experiments and so forth, they were running them on AMD boards or ATI boards in those days. <clears throat> but anyway, and they, they had that. They owned it. But because of various problems, they had to let it go. AMD. ATI was the first company to come up with a consumer-grade but professional graphics board, mm-hmm. and they did that. So they, they owned the workstation space, they owned the GPU space, they owned the consumer space, and then all things went to hell because of AMD, and the net result was they had to give up those market segments. 
And NVIDIA was very happy to take them and has done very well. And NVIDIA owns like 85% market share in workstation space and probably 100% in GPU compute. Well, AMD has signaled, look, we're, we're coming back, guys. We, we've got stuff. And we also are in a supercomputer. So we know a little bit about that, too. And not with CPUs, but with GPUs. I mean, AMD has been in supercomputers with CPUs forever. But so I see them coming back uh, very aggressively. And, and they're going to be a pain in NVIDIA's side. Yeah, it's interesting. When I, I, I consistently get these questions every month, like, when is AMD going to be serious in like machine learning and AI and compute in the professional space in general? And I think some people were hoping they would with RDNA too, but I remember testing RDNA 2 when it first came out, and it just like literally didn't have the drivers to render, render or edit. Like my, when it first came out, my PC, some of my apps didn't even see it as a graphics card that could render or encode or export a video, you know. <laughs> and over time, though, like half a year later, it worked fine all of a sudden. Yeah. And I think RDNA 2 has been about nailing the graphics drivers for gaming first, since it's a gaming first architecture then working on the other stuff. And RDNA 3 is when they're going to make their first really big foot push into professional. But I got to say, people I talk to are very skeptical about AMD's ability to compete in professional with NVIDIA. Like, mm -hmm. they're basically not even a consideration for... It, it's not like gaming, you know? Obviously, there's fanboys where it's like, oh, I don't consider AMD. But I mean, like... No, but like, it's not the same as the CPUs either, where they're happy to use Epic. I'm saying like most people I talk to in professional doesn't even consider Radeon graphics for professional workloads yet. Do you think they're ready to make a dent in that? Uh, well, I think they're ready. Yeah. The question is whether the customers are ready for them. Um, uh, I participate in a roundtable discussion with an organization called BWG, and they have lots and lots of system system integrators and uh, VARs on that on that discussion. And <clears throat> the question always comes up: What about do you see AMD? Do you see AMD? And the answers keep coming up: No, no, no. None of our customers are asking for it. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem is, uh, and, and I'll take them one at a time. Workstation, for example, uh, you don't just bring a graphics board to the party to sell to workstations. You have to have a deep, deep understanding of the several highly esoteric vertical apps. You have mm -hmm. to know every damn thing there is about visualization. You have to know every damn thing there is about CAD. You have to know every damn thing there is about M&E <clears throat> and on it goes and microchemistry. And it just, it's an incredible amount of knowledge that is required to be a successful uh, workstation board supplier. And NVIDIA has been building up that foundation for over a decade that I know of. They have, NVIDIA has experts working for them who are who could immediately go out, for example, and work for any one of the vertical software companies. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would, all they'd have to do is change their ID badge because they'd be doing basically the same job. Mm -hmm. and, and AMD doesn't have that. Crazy, what's wrong? Heat getting you down? No? You're paying too much for Windows keys.
Well, come on, you know you don't have to do that by now. After all, it's certainly been no secret that CDKeyOffer.com has been a reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead for years. They're the go-to place that I recommend my fans use for getting PlayStation, Microsoft Office, and Windows operating system keys for reasonable prices. You don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of the percentage of your build's price on a Windows operating system. Go to CDKeyOffer.com to get a legitimate, reliable key to build your new system without wasting too much money. I use them to make the Alder Lake system next to me for benchmarking graphics cards. And if I build a Zen 4 or Raptor Lake system this fall, you can bet I will be going to cdkeyoffer.com right away to get a reasonably priced Windows 11 key. If you do go to cdkeyoffer.com, make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows software and Dyshring to get 3% off everything else on the website. They even sell gaming chairs, mice, and keyboards right now. It's a good place to go to to get reasonably priced products and to also show your support for Moore's Law is Dead. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. All right. So, but I do want to then just start getting into, at least in graphics, like it sounds like professional, they've got a very long road ahead, but Chris Rich writes in and he says, hi, Tom and John, with the next generation of dedicated GPUs, are Inv is NVIDIA potentially in trouble if they are unambiguously beaten by AMD? Not financially, of course, but at least in terms of mind share and the do-it-yourself market, in your opinion. For what it's worth, my guess is that in the short term, the answer would be no, but that they will be stung if not in trouble. I think AMD would need to unambiguously win just about everything for two generations in a row before there is a large change in sentiment. And I, I do want to emphasize, I think maybe people have underestimated, maybe not you, but you know I, I, myself a little bit even, the mind share, the power of the brand that NVIDIA has in gaming graphics, because it's actually... I think we all thought Intel was the juggernaut. I mean, wow. NVIDIA's mindshare in graphics, I think, is more so than Intel's in CPU. It is like, wow, do people regard them as the standard? And I, I mean, I know AMD's trying to do a clean sweep just generation. I hear they know they'll win in efficiency. Um, they think they've got NVIDIA on cost. They're going to have better volume than before. And they're going to try to even win in all forms of performance. If they want everything, efficiency, performance, including ray tracing, you know, and they could supply enough cards, do you think that would be enough to do a serious dent in NVIDIA? Or would it take multiple generations, in your opinion? Um, it's it's a combination of that. The, the, the thing to think about is, or one, some of the things to think about, <clears throat> is that when you have overwhelming market share, as NVIDIA does say in workstations, as an example, you know, 90%, all you can do is lose. Mm -hmm. You can't grow yeah. that market share. You just can't grow it because you already got it all, right? So how do you grow it? Uh, and, and if someone, you know, puts their resources and dedication to it, they're going to take market share from you. Now, mm -hmm. does that mean NVIDIA gets pushed to 60%, 50%? 70 you know how far can amd intrude on nvidia's uh foundation there um i think that if everything went right for amd they could probably pick up minimum 20 percent and maybe 30 percent of the workstation market if they continue mm -hmm. to do what i see them doing uh, just because the workstation group the industry if you will would like to have a choice mm -hmm as would any buyer, right? So they'd be willing to do it, but they wouldn't walk away from NVIDIA for the reasons you mentioned, 
which is that brand is so goddamn powerful. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, the, I think NVIDIA's brand is as powerful as Apple's or Sony's. I mean, it's it's extraordinary. The, yeah, and the, the markets they're in, right? Yeah. The, I would agree. I, I Yeah, I would agree. It might even be more so if you only talk about literally the markets they directly that mm-hmm. compete in. I, I would think so, certainly more than Sony. So that's, you know, that that's difficult to get rid of. What, you know, I always told my kids when they were growing up, a reputation is really hard to lose, a good one or a bad one. Mm-hmm. And so if you get a good one, you know, it's going to be tough to get rid of it. Well, so that was professional. And it kind of sounds like you're saying the first 10 is not that bad. The first 30% is quite possible, but everything above 30% is going to take a lot more effort to take from nvidia no i don't think i don't think any company in the world could do it i think nvidia is too entrenched it's got too much investment i mentioned to you about all the vertical markets that they support and and know Mm -hmm. very very well they're experts in this so uh you're just not going to be able to take that away from them do you have an idea for gaming though brett summers writes in and he says my question is do you think amd can ever hit 50 percent market share in gaming like they did during the rv 770 days this was only possible back then arguably because they were selling them at such low cost and didn't make enough money for r d in the future but what are your thoughts what would amd have to do to accomplish 50 percent gamer market share um well they'd have to have a total stack for one thing amd hasn't had a total stack so they need to have all segments filled out, and the segment differentiation would have to be logical and uh, and acceptable to the to the consumers. That you know, if I pay a hundred dollars more, I'm going to get a lot more performance. Mm-hmm. That means you know, rock solid drivers, and it means drivers that are tuned to various games. So there's a lot of work there, and there again, that's where Nvidia has its powers. Nvidia has. I think they have 2,000 guys, people, I should say, doing software. Mm -hmm. Software. I think AMD is trying to make their software team that big over time. At least they're bragging about how many PCs they test their cards on. And they're like, I forgot the exact metric, but I think it was like NVIDIA tests on 4,500 PCs simultaneously. AMD is testing on 6,000. I would doubt they have as many people just working on software just yet there, though. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so... That's that's another one of these investment things, and 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 with those investments, like we were talking about the uh, generations going back, is that you keep learning stuff, right? This is a learning process. Well, when you've got an army of people learning, that's a lot of learning, and that just yeah. you know you just don't take that away from from an organization. Well, I think that's something Intel's learning the hard way is you can hire a thousand people if you want to, but they're not all going to be up to speed in a cohesive group instantly. And I think what you're seeing pretty obviously with AMD is they're like, hey, we'll hire a thousand people a year. We'll make them into veterans over five years. Then they'll hire a thousand more. And we'll just, we can only grow so fast, but once they're in, they're in, you know, is what they're kind of trying to do. So the the strength that both AMD and NVIDIA have in that regard is... Uh, AMD has a pretty damn consistent uh, employment base. There's, mm-hmm. I know guys at, at AMD that have been there 20 years or more. Yeah. And, and, and NVIDIA does too. Uh, and one of the reasons NVIDIA has such long-term employees is because people like to work there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that means is that these are teams, right? 
And, and one of the things that always impresses me when I go to a rock concert is when I see how the musicians play together. Mm-hmm. You know, not not patronizing the audience, but they just like one guy will hit one note and do something, the other guy picks it right up and he does it and so forth. And that kind of synchronization and teamwork. Well, you have that at AMD and NVIDIA as well. These guys have worked together forever, right? Mm-hmm. They're family to each other. They know each other's moves. They're not learning about each other. And that's the difficulty when you go on a big hire process like Intel has. And this is the second time Intel's done that. They went through a big hire process with Larrabee, right? They brought in a bunch of strangers who didn't know each other. In some Mm -hmm. cases, didn't like each other. And now now they're doing the same thing again, like you didn't learn the first time. Well, you know, I I got a question here I want to get to regarding AMD and NVIDIA specifically. So some rumors are starting to come out just a little bit. And I want to be clear that I can't independently verify these ones myself. What I will say is what I'm about to say would not surprise me. And at the very least, I don't hear that NVIDIA's next generation is going to be some RDNA 3, RDNA 4, like multi-die thing yet. It sounds like... It, most likely, even after Lovelace, but like Blackwell that comes out probably late next year, 2020, or would that be tw- or 2024, that that's going to be another monolithic set of cards. Mm-hmm. But we know RDNA 3 is going to be multi-die. And for what I'm hearing, RDNA 4 is going to start getting pretty creative in its design. RDNA 4 near the end of next year is going to be pretty interesting. It, already, I'm confident a- NVIDIA has designs for a 600-watt card that they're definitely <laughs> going to launch a 450-watt card. I don't think AMD is going to push it as hard unless it's an easy win for them. So you see NVIDIA on 4 nanometer with these massive dies competing with AMD with multi-die 5 nanometer and 6 nanometer things, and it seems like they're going to have to do that again next gen, and I don't think 3 nanometer will necessarily be ready either. That's another thing I have to throw into this conversation is I don't know that they can just brute force everything again because I don't know that 3 nanometer will be ready near the end of next year for their die. Maybe maybe it, it could be, but it, it's up in the air, whereas AMD can just go to 4 nanometer and add more chiplets. Do you see this as like a huge potential headwind against NVIDIA? Maybe NVIDIA will compete directly this gen with worse efficiency but if they have another gen where they don't have multiple dies and amd has even more elaborate designs is nvidia possibly in trouble here in a similar way to how intel was but of course i'm not saying they'll make the same mistakes intel does i'm just saying i think i have to deal with some of the same issues that they don't have a multi-die approach amd's figured it out and they're forced to just push power consumption on older nodes or something it's you know everything has a uh, limit of return to it. And mm-hmm. you can just push a monolithic die so far to where the return just isn't there. You just can't get it, right? So it flattens out and performance doesn't go up even though transistor count is. And with transistor count power consumption, as you pointed out. <clears throat> um, Jensen made a comment at, like, I forget what event it was, but it was about six or eight months ago um he was asked this question it was an investors meeting i think mm-hmm. and uh he was asked the same kind of question is are you going to continue with uh, monolithic or or go to chiplets and so forth and he said he pointed out that there there are um technological issues with chiplets with regard to mm-hmm. communications we discussed that and so forth um and and there can be power issues as well uh and he said uh you get a much better performance if you can keep it all to, on one chip which is of course obvious and true uh, he said, and we just happen to be very good at that. Mm. And that was that was the big takeaway I took from this whole rambling answer was, 
we're good at making monolithic chips. And I think the facts speak for themselves. They are good at it. So, but you also, it is interesting, and obviously we don't know for sure, but you also said there's only so hard you can push a chip before AMD just gets to win by default because they are throwing more silicon at the problem with chiplets though, right? Yeah, I mean, there's the, the law of diminishing returns, you know, it's easy to predict that where that point is, I don't know, but I can guarantee mm -hmm. you anything that I own that you want to bet uh, that NVIDIA has run those analyses and they mm -hmm. know where that point is. And, and, and they're not going to let it happen because it's a fool's play. It's just pouring money down the drain. So I guess what you're saying is, yeah, you expect Blackwell to also be monolithic, but that it should just be good enough still. And then if the inception point is after that, that's when NVIDIA will have it ready or something. Well, subject to what they can get out of the fab. If the right. process node drops, you know, we're down, you know, we're approaching 200 nanometers and soon it'll be 100 nanometers, or angstroms rather, and soon 100 angstroms. If, if NVIDIA can keep their expertise in pace with the process node movement, which they have done successfully for 25 years, I might add, and by the way, I might point out that that's in Jensen's background, mm -hmm. uh, then they don't have to. But as I mentioned, they know where that point is. They know they know they know that day is coming. Mm -hmm. These are these are, you know, supremo engineers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think RDNA three is AMD's first test. Well, RDNA two is almost a try for the crown, but and it kind of was. But RDNA three is when I think they're really going to gun hard for it this fall. Like they really are going to try to win. And if that doesn't happen, I'm just looking at extra headwinds and wondering how NVIDIA is going to respond. Blackwell, if it's not multi-chip, it's going to have to be pretty interesting then to compete with what RDNA 4 sounds like. Um, which kind of leads me into a final kind of set of questions here, if you're interested. Uh, Misha Jablonski writes, and he says, hello, Tom and John. I wonder if once we reach 4K around 200 hertz at the lower or mid-range level of graphics cards, what will be the next big thing to buy higher performance graphics? Will the future of rendering be fully path traced with ray tracing as it's implemented now, being only a stopgap? Greetings from Germany. And then Falto also writes in and says, will people care if mid-range GPUs can do 4K 240 hertz? And I think this is worth pointing out because I really do expect this generation from both companies to be a killer. Like killers, like I expect them to, they're going to double performance. And right now you've got mid-range cards that easily do like 1080p, 240 hertz. So if we double performance now, then a year and a half, we double it again. We're even close to that. We're looking at, you know, stuff four to five times better than what we have now in three years. I know car uh, games get harder to run, but I don't think they're going to be five times harder to run. Most likely, most of the time, most of the games that will come out in five years, by the way, to everyone listening, were designed on current hardware. So they're not going to push it as hard as you might think. Right. Will people care if they can just max out 4K above even 200 frames a second with like a $600 card? Like, at what point does it get harder to start getting people to buy the new thing if everything they have just crushes it? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it is a problem. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right about that. Um, I think what will happen is uh, the, the consumers will have to be pushed, motivated to buy up on their displays. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that what, what the consumers need to get, this is, this is John lecturing now, <clears throat> is they need to get super wide displays 
that are at least 4K. I'm, I'm looking at you right now on a super wide 5K scale a screen. And um, the reason for that is you want it wide because it tickles your periphery. Mm-hmm. And what will happen is that the graphics boards will bring you more immersion. And they'll bring it to you in the form of audio. They'll bring it to you in the form of video. And the video will indeed be ray traced. And it will also be high dynamic range. And you will just, no exaggeration, I know it's going to sound silly, say you will just feel better. And the reason Mm -hmm. you will feel better is because your eyes and your brain are not going to be annoyed by artifacts. It's going to be fluidly smooth. It's going to be beautiful. You won't be able to measure it. You won't be able to point your finger at it and say, oh, look at that, how good that is. It'll just be there. It'll be realism. It'll be so realistic that your eyes and brains will accept it and you will feel better. And that's going to be difficult to convey in words. It's, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to market, though, because exactly. I think right now there's and there are and let's be clear, there are diminishing returns like it is taking significantly more horsepower to push past 4K compared to over 1080p. And it is harder to tell the difference between. Well, I mean, this is such an understatement. It is definitely harder to tell the difference between 1080p and 4K than it is 480p or 540p and 1080p. That difference is just night and day obvious. 4K, some people say they can't tell the difference. I can. I think it's still obvious, but not as obvious. Mm-hmm. When I look at 8K displays, I do, which, uh, you know, 21 by 9 aspect ratio 5K is getting closish to this ultra, ultra, ultra resolution like tier. I don't know. I do wonder if some people will be extra hard to convince to push for the newest thing. I, I do wonder, though. Well, you know, I have gray hair and I've been around a while. And I remember when we had these conversations and people were asking me, well, why do we need color? <laughs> to be fair, though, you're an exceptional person, John. You're not the average guy. <laughs> no, not, not to not to inflate your ego, but. No, but go ahead. Go ahead. please, please. All right. Let me go get the pump. <laughs> Okay, so um, I just think, it, yeah, I think it's going to continue to get better. Um, I, I think, you know, my fantasy is we have IMAX in our house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's totally in the cards, pun intended, in a few years. I mean, it, it's where it's going to have to go to even leverage that horsepower. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, honestly, I think so. But it's but it's it's a it's a multifaceted problem. You have to you have to do a better monitor. You have to do better speaker mm-hmm. system, right? And you have to do the better graphics. And then, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a Ferrari, except that there's no gas station around? So I'm mm-hmm. just sitting in it because I can't get any fuel for it. Well, the fuel is the game. Yeah. And that's always been a problem is that the hardware has been so far ahead of the damn games. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we're going to get all this stuff, right? Whether we want it or not, we're going to get it. <clears throat> and then we're going to tap our toes and wait for the games to catch up. I, that's what I was going to say, too, because developers will find something to do with this. You know, they'll, they'll say, oh, OK, well, now I'll do this. You know, they'll find a way to use the performance. I do think, though, in a few years, there will be this thing where it's like they're going to have to catch up. though. They're going to have to catch up in three no, years. No, they, they, they have to do more than catch up. They have to get ahead. The problem with the game developers is this goddamn chicken and egg situation is that NVIDIA and AMD go out there and they say, look, we're going to have we're going to have mesh shaders. Look what we can do with mesh shaders. And the game developers go, well, what's the installed base? There is no installed base, you idiot. You're supposed to make the installed base. 
So the game developers. I talked to a lot of game developers. They would say, uh, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to make the install base, sir. (laughs) And we're supposed to build on it when you do. And that's the problem. So they're always followers rather than leaders. Mm -hmm. It didn't, it wasn't always that way. It used to be. It wasn't. There were some people that tried crazy things ahead of time that would take like three 3090s and say, hey, it's what we're building the game to run on. I can remember having conversations with the guys at NVIDIA and they're saying, Jesus Christ, we can't make this game run. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, you better. (laughs) And now it's just the opposite. Yeah, it it is. I think some developers have gotten happy though with the market share they have access to for a given level of gameplay. They're like, you know, once you're stronger than a PS4, isn't that hard to do anymore? We can have a billion gamers on our game, which I think some of them may need to accept. A billion gamers aren't going to buy your game, dude. Like, but maybe you'll get ten million to though if you push the technology, the people who actually have the best stuff. But I do think that's the thing now. Is it's like before you really had to push graphics and technology to make a new type of gameplay, and now you don't necessarily have to. Um, now that's an uncreative answer because some people would say, "Well, that's your <laughs> job to come up with things to do with it," but. Yeah, no, I think the game developers have, have worked. The the thing that encourages me, um, and you probably have seen this, the epic demo of Nanite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? That, that I mean, I get giddy about that. I think that is so damn exciting because... Well, and what's exciting about it is, from what I hear, it, it's supposed to make it easier to program, too, and yeah. scale across. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, so. it's, 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 you know, it's, it's mesh shaders taken to their logical, I wouldn't say conclusion, it's mesh shaders exploited properly. Combination of mesh shaders, dynamic lighting, uh, great physics, terrific mm-hmm. physics, and not only great physics, but also great sound. When those rocks are falling as she's walking through there, and that mm-hmm. sound reverberates around, and if you've got a good sound system set up when that's going on, it's it's this immersion thing I'm talking about. It's a totally different feeling. Yeah, and I think I think we'll see the first games really use that effectively probably late next year, maybe a couple this year. We'll see. That'll be and those and hey, those will be running on graphics cards at least twice as strong as what we have now. So yeah, that's gonna yeah. be fun. Yep. Um all right. We've gone through the main discussion points I wanted to. I you know, you said you'd have a certain amount of time. Um, is there anything else you wanted to discuss that was on the discussion list or anything you wanted to talk about before I let you go? Well, I don't know how many of the people who are allegedly listening to this have ever seen your videos, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think that they could turn the sound off and just watch your roof. Just watch my, (laughs) because Tom has an RGB roof. Well, I, I, it was something I literally stumbled into when I lived in my previous, I live in Nashville now, I used to live in Peoria, and I was just like, you know, I know, I actually had a globe behind me that I could change the I color. I remember of. that. I remember the globe. And then I was like, oh, wait, I could do that with lights. And then if I'm talking about AMD, it turns red. And then as you <laughs> know, people are skipping half of what I freaking say and misquoting me on Twitter. Maybe this will at least get their attention to notice the <laughs> NVIDIA portion if they want to listen to that, the AMD right. portion. You know, at least that's the idea. But yeah. Yeah, I know. So I'm I'm definitely a super gamer because I have RGB everywhere for sure. <laughs> so now you gotta do something with that microphone, make that RGB. <laughs> I feel like that would mess with the camera's focus, but it is a pretty expensive one, so maybe not. Or I could just I mean I could just put on like the suit the guy who plays Golem and Lord of the Rings wears, except it lights up too, and then everyone would know I'm a truly <laughs> professional gamer. 
Okay. All right. Well, enough of the, yeah, I'll let you go then. Um, I, you know, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank everybody for listening. Remember, subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on YouTube. Subscribe to Broken Silicon and Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Tell your friends about us. Of course, on Patreon, if you have the money, you can ask us questions and get these podcasts early and ad-free. And uh, links to John Petty Research and to multiple articles you've written and your LinkedIn. And if anyone wants to find you, that will be there as well. And thanks for coming on again. Happy to do it. Anytime. All right. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, AV, Anthony Greffa, Greg Patecki, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K, Brian Rickman, Dr. Forbin, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, the Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Rick, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valcom Alev, The Boss, Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantrum G. Spantrum, Jonathan, Lord Starscream, General Drips, Blake, Fancro Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Caillou Markelli, Hardforum.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, Z- Jeezy Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, Jason B, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jess Kowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanian, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mads, Zuzu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Atrani, Patrick Rowe, Emerald Chief, Brett Summers, Denny Nguyen, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Damian Peterson, James Anderson, Ry Trui, Mark Rainmaker, Dave Schultz, 
3DS Boy 08, Halbuma, Norithio, Matthew Landabazo, Stefan, Cole Attic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Brendan O'Connell, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nicoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerome Ferriera, Sabito 3, DSIS, Thomas A. Teef, Klein Britannian, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Morpheus, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Grito Saunderson, David Eastland, Cal, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Seller, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Windstar, Joker, James I. Render, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shea, Julian Leaked, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>